Well, good morning, everybody. And to the fathers in the room, happy Father's Day. And to the wives in the room, thank you for helping us become the men of God God intended us to be. When Sharon learned that I was asked today to teach and preach, she immediately started thinking about all the things I should say. (laughs) And she quickly told me, for those who studied in a women's group, that one of her favorite books in the Bible is the book of Genesis, the book of origins. And so she said I should teach from the book of uh, Genesis. And if I were to teach from the book of Genesis, I would certainly have to start with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Note what that says. God created. He created everything in this universe, including you, me, each and every one of us. Isn't it interesting? In verse 1, God says we weren't an accident. We weren't a random chemical coming together and bring us into creation. God intended us to be who we are. And God loved us so much, he made us in his image because he intended for each and every one of us to enter into an intimate relationship with him. So if I were going to continue to teach on Genesis, I'd probably have to wade into the debate about, is a day a literal day? The great debate of some of the theologians. And many of you know that the Hebrew word for day or a period of time is yom. The Hebrew word yom is used over 2,500 times in Scripture, and there's only a handful of times that that word is used for anything other than a literal day. Now, God, our Heavenly Father, know we'd be intellectually challenged today after the age of enlightenment, and we'd be debating, what is a day? And so God... In the very first book of the Bible, very first chapter, it talks about evening, night, and day, always a literal day. 23 times outside of the book of Genesis, God talks about evening, morning, always a literal day. 430 times out of Genesis, God talks about consecutively numbers days, the first day, second day, third day always a literal day. So, you can sit here possibly and say, well, I don't believe a day is a literal day. I'm saying God, in three different ways, shut that argument down. A day is a literal day, and that is foundational to everything else we believe in the Bible. How do you believe the days are a day in that the genealogies that we hear about in Genesis are accurate if a day isn't a day? How do you know that Sarah had the miracle of conception at age 90 years old if a day isn't a day? Maybe she was 22. How do you know Jesus rose on the third day if a day isn't day? Satan's attack on the Bible is try to confuse us and teach us that a day isn't a literal day. A day is a day. And certainly I couldn't teach on Genesis without talking about Genesis 3.15, that instantaneously upon Adam and Eve fallen, God had a plan for our salvation. It was through his, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who would come to us as the seed of woman to pay the penalty for our sins. And then I think about everyone in this room and sitting in the elders' meetings and realizing that, you know what, there's a lot of dysfunction in our families today. 
people are really struggling with relationships. You know, it's really hard. And so what I would suggest to you, read about the patriarchal family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. If you want to read about dysfunctional family, read from chapter 12 to chapter 50 and read about God's chosen people. And my thought about that is if he could use those tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob, and use them as his chosen people, what kind of hope does that say for us? God can use each and every one of us for his purpose. So, I could teach on Genesis, and I love my wife, but I'm not going to do that today. (laughs) But I have taught a little bit on Genesis, but I am going to teach about what God's Word says about dealing with difficult times. So can you bow your heads and we'll pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day, and we stand in awe, Lord God, of who you are, what you are, and all that you do in our lives, Lord God. I just lift this day up to you. I lift the fathers in this room up to you, Lord God, that you would ultimately help them, encourage them, and lead them to be the men of God that you intended them to be. So I pray your blessing on each and every father here today, Lord God, and I pray, Lord God, that these fathers will bless their families as well, Lord God. Lord, I just pray today that you will fill me from the top of my head to the bottoms of my feet, that I will be able to preach your word with conviction, with power, and that each and every person here might get a message, a personal message for them. I know, Lord God, life is a struggle and there are difficult times, so I pray for each and every person here and that today's message might be an encouragement to them. So we're going to turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 14. And ultimately, it's a story about crossing the Red Sea. I'm going to give you a little bit of background, that ultimately in chapters, I told you, 12 through 50, we hear about the patriarchal family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then at the very end, as we draw to the close of the book of Genesis, we hear about a great famine having crossed over the entire earth. Now, prior to the famine, if you remember, Joseph, the second youngest son of Jacob, of Israel, was ultimately sold into slavery by his brothers, dysfunctional family at the least. So ultimately, God blessed Joseph, though, before sending him to Egypt, and he became the second most powerful individual in Egypt after Pharaoh. And while he was there, he ultimately implemented a policy that he stored up great provisions of grain, knowing that God had given a vision, a famine would come across the earth, and he stored it up so he could preserve life. So as we close out on the book of Genesis, Jacob brings his family into Egypt to the land of Goshen where they live a, you know, a, a tremendous life in a fertile land and ultimately are being blessed by God. That's how Genesis draws to a close. Now we open the book of Exodus, which our reading will be from this morning. And ultimately, when you turn the pages from Genesis To Exodus, 430 years have passed. And what we hear in the book is that Pharaoh had forgotten who Joseph was. Pharaoh, the ruler, did not know who Joseph was. And ultimately, he was very concerned. He ultimately said that these Israelites are too many and they're too mighty. And so he began to oppress them and he turned them into slave labor to build all the uh, magnificent cities that Pharaoh was working on at the time. 
And so the Israelites were afflicted and they were oppressed. And they cried out to God for help. They cried out because of their slavery. And ultimately, God promised Moses that he would bring his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. So with that, we're going to turn, if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 14, skip if you can put out verse 14, 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back. Notice it says, God said, tell the Israelites to turn back. And he told them where to camp. Camp in front of Baharoth between Migdal and the sea. You must camp. You must camp in front of Belzephon facing the sea. So here's lesson one. Realize that God means for you to be where you are. He's an all-powerful, amazing God. He knows where you are. He could have put you there, or he could have allowed you to be in that position of difficulty, but God knows your difficulties and your struggles. So are you worried and fearful today? I think each and every one of us at some time in our life has fear, anguish, worry that we're struggling with and dealing with. Life is hard. The Bible teaches us that we can expect, particularly as Christians, life will be hard. It is certain that we're going to face many difficulties and challenges, and God's going to allow them. So how can you not worry if you're about to lose your job? How can you not worry if you don't have enough money to provide for your family's needs? And you might say, Steve, how can I not worry if I have a family member who's sick? Or even worse, you may say, Steve, how can I not worry if I'm in peril of death, that I have some serious illness to do? And so, ultimately, life can be hard. And how do you deal with this? Have you felt like your back is against the wall, that you have nowhere to turn? Your back's to the wall, and you look in front of you, and there's nothing but insurmountable challenges and difficulties in front of you. How do I deal with that, Lord? And then when we go to the book of Exodus, chapter 14, the Israelites felt they were in the same place. God had put them at the edge of the Red Sea. God surrounded them with the Egyptians who chased after them, and they had the insurmountable sea in front of them. He deliberately put them where they were. God knew where they were. He put them there. And they had to wonder, God, how could you do this to us? Where are your chosen people? Why, God? Why would you have put us there? Well, today... God occasionally does that with us as well. God is testing us and helping us develop wisdom. And some may ask, Steve, but isn't God all-knowing? Why would God need to test us to know how we're going to respond in this difficulty and challenge? And I would tell you, he didn't do it for him. God did it for you. He did it for each and every one of us so that we would know how we're going to respond to the challenge. We would know that we need to lean into him, that we need to increase in our understanding, and we need to increase in our faith. So it's because God loves us. He puts us to the test so that we will better know who we are. I think about some of the people in the Bible that God ultimately challenged. Ultimately, Hagar was a single mom, and ultimately she was sent into the desert with her boy Ishmael to die. Joseph wanting to follow his divine dreams, was ultimately sold into slavery and imprisoned in Egypt. Moses had to choose between 
splendors of Egypt as one of the chosen princes of Egypt or to join up with his people and share in their affliction. God's chosen people were suffering. And Jesus, fulfilling his Father's will, suffered and died on the cross for each and every one of us who will accept and believe in him. So God allows us to be tested to increase our faith. But he can be trusted. His word tells us he can be trusted, that even in those most difficulties and challenges, he always provides a way out for us. God's promise to us. We can count on it, and we can uh, be committed to that. But God does place us in difficult situations. So now let's turn to Exodus 3 and 4. Pharaoh will say to the Israelites, they are wandering around in the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory. I will receive the glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh God. So what's our natural instinct when we have difficulties and challenges. Here it says God ultimately was dealing with Pharaoh, hardening his heart so that he would be glorified. But what's our natural instincts when we run into a challenge? Do we say, how do I get out of this mess? How do I get out? What do I do? Do we ask ourselves, I'm in a mess, why did it happen to me? Or even better still, God, why did you let this happen to me? I'm a good Christian. I go to church on Sunday. I take up Frank's challenge every Sunday when I go home. And uh, God, why did you let this happen to me? And oftentimes, it's how quickly can I, how often, and how quickly can I fix it? Jesus was concerned about his father's glory. In John chapter 9, you may remember the story where his disciples saw a blind man who was blind from birth. And they asked Jesus a question about the situation. They said, Jesus, why did this happen? What was this man's sin? Jesus responded that they were asking the wrong question, or as Frank would say, "Mm, thanks for playing. They asked the wrong question, and he was pretty clear on that. The man was born blind so that the power of God could be displayed in his life. Now, this is totally contrary to the prosperity gospel. You know, there are churches out there now that are teaching that you're here to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. God wants to glorify you, and that ultimately God is going to take care of you, love you, and honor and glorify you. And you know what? Take your Bibles and read them. I've read this Bible many, many times, and you know what? I can't find that in there. I can't find out that it says that God is going to glorify us that God is perfect, God is inerrant, God is immutable, God is unchanging. He's the same God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We give our praise and honor and glory to him. But why is that? By praising, honor, and glorifying God, we're drawing closer to him. It's an act of love. Glorify God, and he'll draw us closer to him. So we're here to glorify God. So now I'd like to turn to Exodus 14, 5, 9. I'm not going to read it all. It's a fairly long story. But the picture here is that all of a sudden the Egyptians wake up. Israelites are marching in victory out of Egypt. And all of a sudden Pharaoh and his men and officials look at each other and say, why did we let them go? Ultimately they were serving us. And so 
Pharaoh mounts up his troops, his 600 chariots and all the other chariots of the land, and he chases after the Israelites, and he surrounds them. And so here's lesson three. Acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eye on the Lord. You know, if you're, pain, if you're in suffering, if you're in pain, if you're dealing with difficulties in your life, it's likely the devil is behind it in some fashion. Now, we have a hard time thinking about that and believing it at times, but the Bible is very clear. In Ephesians 6.11, Paul tells us and warns us against the schemes of the devil. So acknowledge the devil. We are to acknowledge him. We are to acknowledge our enemies, but we shouldn't be intimidated by him. Daniel 11.32 says, The devil, the devil will seduce with flattery. Those who violate the covenant, unbelievers, those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. Favorite verse that many of us have, James 4, 7 through 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Some of us are a little bit confused about that verse because we say, you know what, I'm going to go off and attack the devil. I'm going to battle him. I'm going to resist the devil, and he's going to flee from me. Well, you know what? The devil was probably the first or second most powerful created created being in the universe, maybe only second to the archangel Michael. And you know what? If you go out on your own power and try to take on Satan, you're going to lose. So the key verse here, context is everything, as Frank says, is ultimately submit yourself to God. Satan runs from God. We submit ourselves to God. God aligns himself with us, and ultimately the devil flees. So every time that you resist temptation, you're honoring God. But we make a mistake if we acknowledge the Lord and keep our eyes on Satan. We need to reverse it. We need to acknowledge Satan, small Satan, mighty and amazing and powerful God. We need to keep our eyes on God and Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Amen? Exodus 14.10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. Now, here's something we see time and time again throughout the Old Testament. The Israelites get in trouble, right? You know, things are caving in around them. They're struggling with difficulties and challenges. They're fearful of their lives. And then it says, Then the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. Here's a simple lesson. Pray. Pray. Ultimately, when we're in this situation, is our first thought to get down on our hands and knees and pray to an almighty and amazing God, our Heavenly Father? God, in His Word, has says He's invited us into His throne room, that we can go there with all boldness to receive His mercy and find His grace, that He will be there to help us at the appropriate time. But here's the thing that a lot of Christians don't like. In fact, I think it's probably something a lot of Christians probably dislike. God doesn't always say yes. Interesting enough, no can be an answer. So if you think about it, Abraham prayed, if you remember, that Ishmael, before he had Isaac, he prayed that Ishmael would be his promised son, that he would be the one that the line would come through. And God said, no, God had a better plan. He said, I'm going to bring the line through and descent through the boy Isaac. Moses, if you remember, earnestly promised 
to cross the River Jordan. He wanted to go into the promised land. This is Moses, 40 years in the desert with a stiff-necked people, and God still said no. Why is that? He said, I got a better plan. I'm going to take a young leader, Joshua, who, approved, who is faithful to me, and I'm going to let him lead the people into the promised land. But you know what? God had a better plan for Moses. He took the age Moses and brought him to a better place. He brought him home with him. Jesus prayed, Lord, if you'd only let this cup of suffering pass me by. But what did God the Father said? He said, no. He said, I've got a better plan. He said, ultimately, I have something better in mind, that the blood of the cross would be the atonement for our sins, the forgiveness of our sins, so we could be reconciled to him and have an intimate relationship with him. And I say, praise God. Praise God for his plan. Praise God that he does say no. So we are told to enter the throne room of grace with all confidence. And it ultimately says we can ask anything, but people forget this. It doesn't say we can ask anything in accordance with our will. It says we can ask anything in accordance with God's will, and he hears us. God listens to our prayers. He wants us to pray steadfastly, but Colossians tells us do it with all thanksgiving. So now we turn to Exodus 14, uh, 13, 14. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm, and see the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians will see you today. You will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. Interesting enough, you must be quiet. So here's the next lesson. Stay calm and confident and give God time to work. Are we calm when we're faced with difficult situations? This is contrary to what most of us are inclined to do. Most of us want to immediately take control of the difficult situation that we're in, and we want to fix it. But what is Moses saying? What is the Bible telling us? Commit ourselves in the difficult situation to the Lord, pray, and wait on God to do his work. Have faith and trust in God that he will do his work. What is clear, though, is that God is saying he doesn't want us as his children to live in our emotions, to live in the moment of time in our emotions. He wants us to be in control, take control. We should not be walking in fear. We should not continue to be walking and being in trouble. I would suggest that walking in fear and being troubled is not trusting in him. We are to walk by faith and not by our feelings. So now we turn to Exodus 14, 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israels to break camp. So here's the next lesson that sometimes we struggle with. When we're unsure of what to do, take the next logical step in faith. The Israelites were trapped. They were surrounded by the Egyptians on three sides. They had what appeared to be an insurmountable obstacle in front of them. Uh, They weren't sure what to do. And the Lord gave them a simple plan. What did he say? He said, tell the people to go forward. The Bible teaches us that God generally will provide for us step by step, day by day, and moment by moment. And Jesus even tells us, don't be worried about tomorrow. God will take care of tomorrow. Don't be worried. Trust in him. 
When you don't know what to do, cast out your fear, seek God's guidance, but take the next logical step in faith. God doesn't say he's going to tell us what his plan for us is for the next 15, 20 years. He tells us, I'm going to take care of you day by day, moment by moment, step by step. So rather than sitting in vacillation when you're confronting a problem, seek the Lord, take the next logical step. God gives us wisdom. He gives us discernment if we would just seek him uh, in those moments. So now... Let's turn to Exodus 14, 19, and 20. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of a cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. The cloud was there in the darkness, yet it lit up the night. So neither group came near the other all night long. So here's the lesson. When you're in difficulty and challenge, envision God's presence in your life. The pillar and fire of cloud is the Old Testament um, appearance of God himself, specifically the Son of God, our Lord Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ. And it says, that, in other words, that as the Israelites went through the Red Sea difficulties and challenge, the Lord was with them. He was there beside them. He was helping them through the difficulty and challenge. But it doesn't say, God doesn't promise in his word that he's going to remove us from the difficulty and challenge. I know that's a constant prayer. Lord, I, mean, I got this serious difficulty and challenge. If you could just lift me up and remove me from it. And you know what? There are times I feel that way too. But there are times when God taking you through that difficulty or challenge is going to strengthen you, create more perseverance, and draw you closer to him. So you've got to seek God's will in your, in your life and ultimately see his presence that he's told us, fear no evil, because I am with you. Exodus 14, 21, 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the Red Sea. This, this is the Charlton Heston moment in the, in, the, in the movie of the Bible. This is one we all kind of focus in on. So Moses stretched out his hand over the Red Sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind and all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with the waters like a wall to them on the right and the left. So here's the message. Trust in God to deliver you in his own unique way. Trust in him. He's going to deliver you, but it may not be in your way. His way is higher than our way. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's going to deliver us in his own unique way. I can't imagine being the Israelites at the edge of the Red Sea and seeing this guy, 80-plus years old, raising up his rod and pointing it at the sea. If I was the Israelite, I'd probably say, this is the guy we're following. What is he doing? He's standing in front of the Red Sea. He's raising up his rod. This is, this is how you're going to deliver us? I'm sure there was a moment in a crisis of faith of the Israelites at that very moment. I think I might have a crisis in faith. God, how did you lead me here by this Red Sea? Why isn't this uh, old guy doing something to get us out of the situation? But you know what? It was in that instant in time that the Israelites watched the eastern wind come down and part the Red Sea for them. So God was there. He parted the Red Sea for the Israelites. And they saw probably one of the greatest miracles that have been recorded in the Bible, specifically done for them to lead them into deliverance. So what's the lesson here? 
let God work. Let God work and trust in him, and trust in him that he will deliver in his own unique way. You may ask, well, that was then and this is now, Steve, so is God going to deliver me now? You know, those are the miracles of the Old Testament. And, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling many miracles in my life today, but can God still deliver? And I'm saying absolutely God will deliver you. Put your faith and trust in him, but understand that he may deliver you in his own way. The Bible is clear. God watches over us. His loving hand is on us. He's guarding us. He's guiding us. But he's arranging everything for, what did I talk about earlier? His glory. But he arranges it for his glory, but he does it for the good for those who love him and are called by his purpose. So now we're getting close to the end here. Let's look at Exodus 14, 30, and 31. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power of the Lord that used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. Isn't it interesting? When we see his miracles, we fear him. So they ultimately feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. The lesson here is when you're in a difficulty and you're in challenge and you have a crisis in your life, look at it as a faith builder. It's in these moments that we're drawn closer to God. It's in these moments that we seek out our loving Lord and Savior to strengthen us and see it through it. When things are going well, it's very easy to get complacent in our lives. It's going well, and it's going well because, you know what, I'm doing well. It's in the crisis that we're challenged in our faith and we're drawn closer to God. So we don't always know why God allows the difficulty and challenges in our lives but we know he will use them for our purpose, for our maturity, to deepen our faith. So what exactly is faith? Faith is believing that what the Lord says will be accomplished. I've heard people ask the age-old question, how do the Old Testament saints make it to heaven? You know, they didn't see the cross. Did they really believe that Jesus, you know, died on the cross and ultimately suffered for our sins and ascended into heaven so each and every one of us could enter into a personal relationship with him and be saved? No, their view was a little bit different. They didn't have the ability to look back at the cross, but they believed in what God said. They had faith in him. Abraham was counted righteousness because of what? Because of his faith. Jesus asked the apostle, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? In Hebrews it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. It goes on to say that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So remember, never encounter, you'll never encounter a situation in which God will not provide a way out. But once again, it may not be your way out. It may be his way out. And as I talked about Moses, Moses' way out is God brought him home to be closer to him, to live in the promise, the true ultimate promised land that we all are seeking for to live and to reside with our Heavenly Father. So God will strengthen you to bear up under your difficulties and challenges. So now we come to the final lesson. Then Moses, 15.1 skipped. Then Moses and the Israelites sang the song to the Lord. This is probably the first recorded song in Scripture. He had a nation of liberated slaves, 
singing and dancing in the desert, praising and exalting our Lord. One of the reasons why God puts us where he puts us or allows us to be where we are in these difficult situations is to give us an opportunity to sing his praises. So how can we thank God in our daily lives? How do we do this? What does it look like thanking God? How does it look like praising God on a day-to-day basis? Well, here's an answer. Here's one for you to think about. Is it possibly living more praise-worthy lives? Praise-oriented lives? Is it honoring and glorifying God in each and everything we do? During our daily prayer times, spend some time thanking God for the things that you never thought of mentioning before. There are miracles happening in our lives every day. There are promises of God being fulfilled in our lives every day. There are good gifts. The Father of good gifts is giving to us in our lives on a regular basis. But how many times do we think of them? How many times do we praise them for the little things in life? You know, we all have the big needs and wants. I understand that. And we're certainly going to praise God when we see those great big gifts. But are we on our hands and knees praying and thanking God for all his gifts? So we need to spend more time, I think, doing that, living praise-oriented lives, mentioning the things that God has done in our lives, and also, in our focus, be positive. The Bible says not to complain. We're not to moan and groan. We're to honor and glorify God, count in his promises, live praiseworthy lives, and be positive. So we are going to have difficulties and challenges. We've just been through the lessons of difficulties and challenges. But that doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to avoid worry in all instances. Jesus knew we weren't going to avoid worry in all instances. We're human. We're part of a fallen world. You know, we wrestle with the human flesh. But he immediately tells us, remember, I am there for you. Do not worry. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be fearful. He is there for us. I think giving praise to God is the outpouring of wisdom. So I want to leave you with this. Rather than a challenge, I want to leave you with some words of uh, advice. The same God that led you into your difficulty and challenge can lead you out. He led the Israelites out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, towards the promised land. The same God who put you where you were, allowed you where you are, is also a God who can lead you out, even if it means crossing the Red Sea for you. Amen? Amen. Will the uh, worship team come forward and let's pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. I just thank you for the opportunity to spend time here sharing with the body of Christ, sharing your word, Lord God. I pray that the word today ultimately was powerful in affecting people in a positive way. I pray that your word will be an encouragement to them as they wrestle with their individual times of difficulty and challenges. I just want to give you all the praise and honor and glory again, Lord God, today. You are an awesome, amazing, all-powerful, and long-suffering God. And so I thank you, God, for your patience with us. I thank you, Lord God, that you give us the opportunity to come to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. I thank you for this amazing day. I just lift up again the fathers and the families today that this will be just a tremendous day for the families to reunite and to restore their relationships and to just thoroughly uh, honor and glorify you in all that they do today. And I just lift this up to you in Jesus' precious name.
just a last word. Uh, my wife and I are both Gideons, and we weren't sure, but we ultimately have a case of Gideon pocket testaments in the back. So if anyone wants a pocket testament, uh, there are some in the back, first come, first serve basis. And uh, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be here uh, serving as one of your elders. It's been a tremendous privilege to uh, uh, be able to do that. And I just wish all of you, each and every one of you, God's blessing in your life. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.